Welcome to Bronze and Modern Gods. I am John. And I'm Richard. It's another Monday. We're here with you. We're going to answer some viewer mail again. We're going to spend some time with you. Thanks, everybody, for following us at Facebook and Instagram on Bronze and Modern Gods. If you are not, make sure you are because we have live sales just out of the blue and uh, you want to be a part of that. Richard, you had one uh, last weekend. Yeah, it was so much fun. We had uh, over 50 people show up and sold some funny books and, uh, you know, talk some smack. It was a good time. <laughs> if you want a more uh, smack talk and make sure you like this video, make sure you're subscribed, hit that notification bell so you know when a new episode goes live. You know what we do on this show? We have our underrated books of the week. We've got your viewer mail, the 25-year rule, and first, our hot book of the week. Richard, what is it? This week, it's Dr. Afra number one, specifically the Neff box variant. What? Uh, this is... Yeah, this this is okay. I, I picked this one for to talk about uh, situational value. I guess. Okay, all right. Um, it's already sounding like a math theorem. But go ahead. Well, no, it's, it's it's this is a book that's valuable to certain people. Okay, okay. this is not this is not an AF fifteen. This is not a UF four. This is a book that people who are collecting uh, Doctor Afra books are wildly after. Uh, this book was a part of. The Neff box, which is a subscription box, kind of like Loot Crate. Um, it was part of the Rogue One Star Wars Story Collector's box. Yeah, Neff, Neff is a headwear company. Uh, and they put this box together. They, 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 have the, they had a, uh, before this one, they had a Stan Lee box, apparently. Yeah. And then they put this box together of Star Wars memorabilia. There were, there were three different headbands uh, that were Star Wars related. There was a, um, a figure that was Star Wars related. And then they had this comic book uh so this comic book could not be purchased off the the store shelves could not be purchased directly you had to buy one of these loot boxes to be able to uh to get it there and cannot that, be a lot of these no that's the that's that's definitely the case i i looked long and hard to try to find a a specific count for the number of uh you know for the print run i couldn't find it uh, obviously, it's limited to the number of, of these uh, Neff boxes that they sold. So I can't think that it was a huge number. Uh, these these uh, If you go to neffbox.com, they're no longer in business. So I can't imagine it was incredibly successful. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking a small print run. What gives you that idea? <laughs> the fact that they're no longer in business? Yeah, that, that, might, be, that might be a hit. Um, the cover is gorgeous. A David Nakayama cover. I, I think it's it's a great cover. Um, the reason why I picked it for the um, Hot Book of the Week this week, a raw copy sold on eBay. It was not a 9.8 candidate as far as I could tell. Sold on eBay for $1,000. Jeez. $1,000 for this variant. Now, this variant is worth $1,000 to somebody, and that somebody most likely is either a completionist for Dr. Afra, someone who likes David Nakayama's art. Um, but I'm almost positive. This is, this is something that putting the right book in front of the right audience. Um, if you find the person who wants this book, they'll pay a thousand dollars for it. If you find Jeez. other people, um, which is probably a larger percentage of the collector hobby, uh, they're not really interested in paying that kind of figure for this book. Now, uh, the census is interesting. There's no 9.8s. No. 
No. For a modern to not have any 9.8s on the census, that tells me there's not a lot of these. And the fact that the company went under uh, <laughs> is another hint, another clue. There are not a lot of these. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I looked. I everyone that I, I this is one of the books that's been on my radar. I'm a Doctor Afro fan, and I've been looking at this book, and that's one of the reasons why I, I, this particular auction caught my eye. I I was going to bid on it until it went over five hundred dollars, and it's, you know I don't pay that much money for a, a raw of 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 this type. So uh, I was watching it, and but most of the copies that I've seen, and there's not been a lot on eBay, um, probably one every three months. Mm-hmm. The ones that I've seen all have color rub on them. So it makes me think yeah. that uh, they're in these boxes. They're not protected. They're just jostled around and uh, they get some damage. And that's probably why you're not seeing 9.8s. Uh, that and the fact that uh, they're just so rare. There's only th- uh, three 9.6s on the census. Uh, one sold in February for $985, kind of su- supporting this $1,000 price. Uh, if this was a, th- a 9.8, thousand dollars i would have bought it yeah as a raw unqualified book that is subject to color rub i just to me it's it's uh it's a mountain i'm not climbing the, there are three 9.6s but there's only a total of six on the census entirely right that's really insanely low uh i have to wonder again if this is a thing well obviously there's demand for it uh, if I was going to say if this no one gives a crap and that's why there's only six on the census or it, no one knows about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think the the audience that uh, bought this may not be aware of its of its significance or its rarity. And so they bought the loot box because they wanted the, the Funko figure in the box or they wanted yeah. the headbands. And the comic is one of those things. Oh, yeah. OK. And I'll throw it in a box uh, or I just not concerned about it. So I, I think that that is a, there's a factor of that in this it's not coll- comic book collectors were not the main focus for this particular loot crate wow well that's a good one uh thanks for that and by the way are you okay are you in a hostage situation i'm looking <laughs> at your yes. background this week for people that are on youtube you can see uh for the people listening on the podcast richard looks like he's being held prisoner somewhere what's going on we are doing re- we are doing remodeling on our whole first floor. Um, Oy. We are we've um, whip, ripped up all the flooring. They're going to be knocking walls out. They're going to be building a brand new kitchen, and um, there's going to be a lot of construction here for the next probably three months. So pardon pardon my dust if I am in a less than optimized environment. It's just because that's what I've got. Blink twice if you need help, okay? We're we're here for you. Uh, Let's move on to our favorite segment, viewer mail. You've got mail. I'll start off. um, We were talking about the Spider-Gwen, which will not go away. uh, Our discussion about Spider-Gwen and and Miles Morales and and all the new Spider characters and how the uh, torch is being passed possibly to a new generation. Our friend Test It not sure what we're testing, says folks never seem to talk about the Spider-Man and Friends cartoon where Spider-Gwen and Miles play huge roles. No, I did not know about it. Uh, Kids are growing up with these characters in a very significant way across a range of media and cartoons, children's books, coloring books, sticker packs, what have you. Tested, that's a very good point. Um, I don't have kids, so I don't see 
uh, what's going on. Uh, Richard, your kids are in high school, so you're probably not seeing it as much as you would if they were younger. But yeah, I know that these, uh, I don't think Disney XD is even a thing anymore, but I know there are these, these, these kids cartoons on Disney Plus and stuff that feature Spider-Gwen and Miles. It's a good point. It is. I, I and until he brought it up, until tested. I'm I'm sorry if I'm assuming he, uh, before tested came uh, brought it up. I had forgotten about uh, the spider. You know the Spider Man and Friends cartoon. It's not targeted to me. It's not targeted to my kids. So and you know it kind of falls you know through the cracks for me. But it 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 really does highlight the fact. And and we, I have a, a, a question later on that brings us up that there is a whole audience of people who are being brought up on, on spider Gwen and miles that uh, have not reached their spending potential yet. So um, I think this is a long-term thing. 25 year old coming up later. All right. What is your first uh, piece of your mail? Um, my first piece of your mail is from uh, comic Kebs. Um, you want rare, try finding a 1946 war book with a famous golden age cover a cover artist with the CGC census of only three submissions, uh, 7.0 being the highest grade. And the second highest grade, a 6.0 uh, sells for under $500. Sometimes even uh, I find it bonkers that my 8.5 CGC uh, uh, Batman Adventures 12 sells for way more money than a high grade Golden Age book. You know, I, I really feel for people who collect Golden Age books because uh, it is a difficult, difficult thing. The, the books are rare and um, difficult to find in high grade. When you do find them, they're either um, affordable because no one is collecting it or they are incredibly expensive because they are first appearances of certain characters. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough market. I know of the comic book collecting community, Golden Age collectors have their own cliques. They have their own organization and ways of finding books that is, to me, fascinating. Uh, so kudos to you for collecting those those rare books. I'm laughing because you said Golden Age collectors have their own cliques, and I'm imagining, like, uh, high school toughs from the 50s. <laughs> Snapping with, their fingers like a yeah. side story. Yeah, Terry from Terry's Comics is, like, the leader and Harley <laughs> Um Here's my thing about that comment, uh, comic Kebs. Um, it's a 1946 war book with a golden age cover artist, only three, and it's only only on the census, and it's selling for under 500. Well, what book is it? I mean, there are things out there like Golden Lad or whatever that nobody cares about that are just dead properties, dead media, and there's just no demand because of that. Whereas, you know, Batman Adventures 12 is Harley Quinn. She's absolutely relevant right now. Yeah. So you know, I kind of get why some golden age books don't sell. I mean, I'm probably the only person that has a complete run of Tex Morgan um, <laughs> from Atlas comics. Cause I like Atlas Westerns, but you know, people like me are few and far between. So it's, right. but you, you know, you've got artists like Schomburg and, you know, who are, who are famous um, and for certain titles, certain covers. And, uh, if you find some of the more obscure work, you can sometimes find it for a more reasonable price. And maybe that's that's his goal here is to find some of that kind of stuff. But who under the age of 40 knows who Alex Schomburg is now? 
You know, it, it's it's I, I don't like saying or asking these questions. It's just something that is reality in a lot of respects. So, yeah. you know, a, a part of a part of this is is passing away into the mists of time. However, I wanted to talk to you about this. OK, so first we have comic books that are selling to collectors for lots of money. Then it became later on video games started getting slabbed and now those are selling for lots of money. Then it became VHS tapes are getting slabbed and selling for lots of money. You know what I'm seeing now? Cassettes. Really? Cassettes. I see people selling cassettes that you will go to Goodwill and get them for 50 cents, like a Dio Holy Diver cassette. They're selling for 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Um, Yeah. So cassettes. Yeah, it is a dead media. But then again, so is VHS tapes. <laughs> I know. What I'm saying it's like we keep finding a, 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 a. Hey, I'm waiting for mini discs to take off. I love the Sony mini disc. It's nostalgia, and I, 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 I will not um, gainsay someone else's hobby. If you want to collect cassettes, crazy go nuts. Uh, it's not me. I will not be. But if that's what you're interested in, I hope you find the ones that you're looking for. It is interesting that we are we are collecting all of this obsolete media. Um, and does, does that mean comic books, comic books fit into that is obsolete I media? Well, I, I was thinking about it today because I was first of all stunned in disbelief, but then I remembered, <laughs> you know, why, why, why golden age comics are worth so much. People threw them away when they were done. They, they yep. took them to goodwill. They took them to salvation army or whatever. Um, and they got rid of them. Cassettes. I got rid of all my cassettes years ago. I had so many cassettes. I had the little carrying case, the faux leather carrying case mm-hmm. filled with cassettes that I bought at Camelot Music, and I took them all to Goodwill. Yeah. So they're gone. They're not around. They don't, you know. So yeah. here we are. I remember it's, your huge CD collection. My CDs. I digitized all of them, took them to Amoeba, and, and sold them for pennies on the dollar. And I'm glad I did because, I, boy, those things were bulky. But – um you know, I'm waiting for the CD revival. Still, there were some CDs I had that sold for a lot. Uh, Reflex, Politics of Dancing. Mm-hmm. I think I sold that for like $400 on eBay. Yeah, um, some of those Japanese uh, CDs and, you know, foreign CDs can bring some some serious money. But it's, again, it, it's 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 rarity and collectability. And that, yeah. that's what drives some of these, some of these new, co- you know, collector hobbies. And to me, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy that people are finding... Um, finding value in that nostalgia because that means that's going to bring people into collecting and then potentially ultimately to, to comic book collecting. Maybe getting back to comics. My next piece of your mail is from Zoe's friend who writes to us at bronze of modern gods at gmail.com. I recently discovered your channel and website and I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. The bronze age is definitely a sweet spot for my comic collecting Though I've just been watching your videos for a couple months, I've gone back and watched some old ones. Uh, one topic I don't recall seeing is bagged comics. That is the multi-mags that typically contain three comics in a sealed plastic bag. I'd love to see if you delve into that topic if you haven't already done so. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Zoe's friend. Tell Zoe we said hi. Yeah, hi. Uh, we've talked about Whitman's, which were these poly bag things a bit, but um, yeah, I, the thing about these poly bags is when Richard and I were coming up, they were really frowned upon. They were looked down upon. They were considered reprints. Right. 
they were considered the lowest rung of the collecting ladder. You didn't want these anywhere near your collection if it had that diamond and blank UPC. Ew. Um, but now we see them selling for lots of money in high grade, especially things like the DC Comics Whitmans that are scarce or like DC Comics Presents number 22 with Captain Comet. Uh, some of the Star Wars Whitmans in high grade do well. I see... Battlestar Galactica number one, the Whitman selling for 400 bucks slabbed nine eights on eBay, which blows my mind. Um, I think there was Shogun Warriors Whitman's, Micronauts Whitman's, Secret Wars, Second Prince were in those bags. Uh, G.I. Joe, later Prince of the G.I. Joe books, like third, uh, second and third Prince. What Part of the multi-packs that I find fascinating was when Whitman stopped distributing to newsstands entirely. And the only way they were distributing new comics was through those multi-packs. So there's a few months there where the multi-packs didn't get out to the toy stores or the department stores and they sat in the warehouse and were eventually destroyed. There are some very, very scarce books that you could only find in multi-packs from those months where they didn't get a lot of distribution that go for hundreds and hundreds of dollars, including uh, titles like Uncle Scrooge, number 179. Uh, My personal favorite, The Black Hole, number four, which was only in a multi-pack that didn't get a lot of distribution. I've owned that book. I had a 7.0. I wish I had it back. Um, So yeah, uh, uh, multi-packs are interesting. Um, They were... You also see people collecting the multi-packs unopened, you know, yes. but it's still sealed and, and they keep it that way because it's a collector's item to have them in, you know, the original packaging. And you had uh, earlier versions of the multi, the Marvel multi-mags in DC where they were not Whitman distributed. They were distributed by uh, their regular distributors and they don't have the diamond or anything, especially uh, DC comics really experimented with it in the sixties. You'll find some vintage multi-packs from DC from that time era. Usually they're Superman related. Like here's a Jimmy Olsen and a Lois Lane and an action comics and lots of uh, Legion adventure comics were in multi-packs too. Would you count all of the, um, the Walmart uh, variants that we're seeing today as, as multi-pack? It, it is the modern version of the multi-pack. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they're being printed at the same time. They have exclusive covers on them. Uh, it's more than just a black plate change from back in the day. It's actually a separate thing. They're hard to find in high grade. Um, we're seeing things, at least on the DC end of things, well, Marvel too, where they're putting books that have been sitting in the warehouse that were um, it, not distributed for various reasons. Uh, they were incentives, like one in 100s. I've gotten two copies of that Peter Parker spectacular Spider-Man Frank Miller one in one thousand sketch variant in Walmart multi-packs. I know that Ruby number seven, which never made it to stores because of the pandemic, has been found in the DC multi-packs recently. So uh, it's it's the modern day equivalent, but maybe a little spicier. Yes, definitely. All right. What's your next one? Uh, My next piece of your mail is from Suleiman Lives. Uh, newsflash, there are a ton of fans of Miles Morales that are about 15 years from having disposable income. Mm-hmm. When that happens, Ultimo Fallout 4 will really be scarce because the remaining available copies will be purchased and put away. Yes, that's and that's what I alluded to earlier. 
um, if you think someone who was a young kid who started off being a fan and in, in 2011 of Ultimate Fallout, or or in um, 20 was it 2016 that the this the the movie came out, uh, Spider Verse movie. Oh, it's been it's after that. Was it 2018? Right. 2018? Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. It was pre-pandemic, um, so you know. Pandemic, yeah. So another time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, my point is, there are these there are youngsters today who are young and don't have that disposable income. When you know, when it's been 25 years since their first uh, a taste of Miles Morales, uh, Spider Gwen, the whole uh, Spider Verse in general, because it's it's so many more characters than just those two. Um, we're going to see another spike of values of these books. And we're seeing, you know, $3,000, $3,500 for an Ultimate Fallout 4 9.8 today. In 10 more years, I think that that may be eclipsed by the value of the book at that point. You said youngsters. Yes, the little whippersnappers. <laughs> <laughs> we're old. We are uh, old. And I promise at, at some point we're going to stop talking about Miles Morales. Someday. 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 Uh, my next piece of your mail is from Night Tiger Comics. We were talking about DC characters from the 80s that have lasted and had a, an impact. And, he, and uh, Night Tiger writes, don't forget about the Blue Devils series. Oh, it yeah. came out about the same time as Firestorm Volume 2. It also had a Marvel Comics feel to it. Funny you say that, Night Tiger, because that was the other DC book that I read. Because it was so Marvel-esque. Uh, Blue Devil was fun. It was a fun book. It was lighthearted. It was about a Hollywood stuntman who was dressed in a Blue Devil costume for a movie, very high-tech armor, and then he runs afoul of a demon who seals him within that Blue Devil costume that he can't remove. We never find out how he pees or poops. Um, <laughs> oh, that's the thing to worry about. It's yeah, uh, magic. It caused stress in my life back then. Because like, how does he go to the bathroom? Uh, maybe that's part of the spell. It handled that. But I love Blue Devil. And it had a good two-year run, I think. Uh, it, you know, it, when Paris Cullens, the artist, left the book, it lost a lot of its uh, appeal because Paris Cullens was perfect for that book. And, of course, now Blue Devil, I think, is in Justice League Dark, and he's really a demon, and it's all dark and DC, angst, angst, rain, gray tones. <laughs> they do seem to abhor color in that, uh, yeah. Uh, everything's <laughs> got to be depressing. Nothing can be lighthearted anymore. It's got to be dark and, man. It cycles. It cycles. We'll, we'll, we'll arc around and come back to a more uh, stable kind of mindset, hopefully. I hope so. What do you have next? Uh, my next uh, piece of your mail is from Matt Hexamer. Uh, I have two teenage daughters, and even though my older daughter is aware of the original uh, Spider uh, Gwen Stacy, my younger daughter has no idea about her uh, first life in Amazing Spider-Man. They both absolutely adore Spider-Gwen. Uh, the Into the Spider-Verse film rock their world, and they think Spider-Gwen is the coolest. Hitching Gwen's wagon to Miles for the for the film was a brilliant move, and she is not fitting away anytime soon, especially given her popularity with the younger audience. Okay, again, again, reinforcing my point, but this is also a really cool point in that we've got you know teenage daughters, so you've you've got women who are becoming attached to these characters, um, and I, I think that's empowering just to 
just like Miles is empowering to African Americans because there's finally a black character out there that isn't um, isn't a sidekick. Uh, you've got a, a female character who's strong in herself and is, defines herself in Spider Gwen, and uh, you know it's someone someone to emulate, someone to to look up to, and I, I think it's important. And again, given given some time, these people are going to grow up, going to get. get great jobs and going to be able to afford spending the big money on their first appearance. It's not possible for girls to throw a rod for Gwen. Is it? <laughs> I saw the comment about throwing a rod. <laughs> I just wanted to work it in three weeks in a row. Uh, all right. My next piece of viewer mail is from Todd E. Walnuts who writes another great show. And you guys keep me company when I was driving and listening to the show. Oh, good both for the entertainment you provide has the cgc grading weight been shortened over the past couple of months or is it still a waiting nightmare i have a few books i'd like to have graded but i don't want to send them off for six months well we can only tell you our personal experiences todd um i did a big drop off at WonderCon the first week of april the, the last weekend of march frankly um and they were received on april 7th which was pretty quick in a week. The uh -huh. uh, modern, which I had fast tracked, I paid the extra for fast track. They were graded and shipped on April 15th. So just a hair under, or sorry, just a hair over two weeks to be shipped back to me. That was lightning fast compared to how they have been. However, in that same drop off, I had fast track economy, which I paid extra for fast track. Uh -huh. And that's been sitting in scheduled for grading since April, April 7th. So that's only supposed to be 35 days turnaround, according to the site for fast track economy. And I'm still waiting. It might happen this week. So modern seems to be super zippy. Everything else seems to be business as usual. What has your experience been Richard? Well, I, I had uh, a, a modern fast track and an economy fast track. I Same said as same as you. Uh, I got them back surprisingly within 30 days mm. now, from them being received. Now that for being received is different than the, the books showing up at right. their, their facility. They actually have to open the box and then put them into the queue. Uh, that took the process of get, going from shipping to the queue took about a month. Uh, but once they were there, they moved pretty quickly. I, I was expecting the books to come back in four months. That's typically, you know, you just get comfortable and you you do yourself a favor just by forgetting about them because it's going to take a while. No, these came back in a reasonable amount of time. Now, we've had we have a, a mutual friend, uh, Forrest, who sent in some books. He didn't send them in fast track, though. And uh, he is waiting a, a, a long time for those books to come back. And so the moral of the story is fast track is worth it. Um, if nothing else, if Richard got his economy fast track back in 30 days. Mine's taken a little longer, but at least they're scheduled for grading. They're not just sitting there in received forever. Uh -huh. So, you know, it depends on what your goal is. If you're trying to maximize profit or something, um, then maybe you don't want to do fast track. Or if you want to do a quick turn before something loses its uh, heat, Fast track might be worth it. If it's for your personal collection, you don't care. And, you know, obviously you care because you want to know you don't want, you don't want to sit, have it sit there for six months. Uh, spring that 15 bucks, man. Uh, yeah. That's how, that's how they get you. 
I, to me, I, I would not, if I'm looking to flip a book because it's hot today, CGC is just too unreliable for me to invest in a one in 50 and then get it, try to get it fast track and turn around to sell it while it's hot. It could be three months before you get that book back. Imagine the people that sent their Naomi's in mm. uh, modern non fast track that are sitting waiting for you. The show was canceled this week, by the way, in case right. you haven't heard. Um, so that's the kind of stuff where a fast track is good. Or if you're really a big fan of Naomi, you don't care. You want to keep it for yourself. And no, don't spend money. Yeah, on I kept one. I kept it in a 9.8 because I, you know, it's, it's a great character. Who, who knows? Uh, DC has canceled shows before. It ended on a cliffhanger too. Yeah. I hate that. Uh, I know. All right. What's your last piece of your mail? My last piece of your mail is from CJ. Uh, derivative characters like Miles and, and Spider Gwen. I just realized, I, I did not realize until now that every one of my comments is, a, is about. <laughs> I wish I didn't say it, but geez. Oh, man, I'm sorry, people. I really am. I promise I will have diversity in my comments tomorrow <laughs> or next week. Um, aren't, aren't the problems? It's their stories and lack of definitive moments, villains, etc. Um, this makes them less interesting, in my opinion. And we're talking about proven track records of of um, of Spider, uh, you know, Peter, and he he says proven track record. You mean canceled and restarted books again and again, just like all those other low printed dead series that need to be revived with new with new number one, Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, anyone. Um, that's not a fair comparison. I mean, Captain America just relaunched last week. But that's Marvel's um, business business model yeah. today. It's it's they re, instead of um, starting new storylines, they reboot the you know they have their um, um, their original numbering, but then they restart it at, at one. But if you yeah. look at the cover, it still says six eighty three. I hate it. I do too. It's it's artificial, and it is a money grab because they think people and people rightly so. Uh, want number ones because, you know, they think there's importance with number ones because historically that's been so. But recently Marvel has really, really, really been abusing that whole, uh, the whole story. If I look for, if I, if I want Ace Amazing Spider-Man number 10, there are probably seven different Amazing Spider-Man number 10s out there. <laughs> and it's difficult to know what you're getting, uh, you know, and, unless you see the cover. So I, I, in that point, Mar that's more Marvel's fault than it is necessarily the storylines. Uh, I will say some of uh, some of the the villains and uh, characters in the Spider uh, Spider uh, Miles Morales books, the Spider uh, Gwen books, those you know, into the Spider Verse, what have you, Spider Verse. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, can be a little mild, but I, I think also you've got to compare it to the villains that you've got for Peter. You know, you've got, you know, Doc Ock is a hard villain to come up and uh, to compete with when you've got, you know, 50 years of 60 years at this point of, of, of storylines supporting that particular character. I think we'll, we'll have characters, you know, the assessor seems to be a popular character now. Um, you've got the clones that I think was, was a good storyline. So I, I, I think you just got to give it an opportunity. 
you can't you can't compare a character who's got care you know villains uh, who don't have the same kind of back catalog that that Peter's villains have. Well, I think CJ has a point. I can't name one Miles Morales villain except for the two you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe who's the vulture uh, female? Uh, yeah, but she's not a villain. She's actually a, a love interest. So right, yeah. I, I can't name a single Spider Gwen antagonist. Sorry. I can't yeah. name one. Yeah. Um, so CJ is not entirely wrong. Oh, I, no. will say, yeah. I will say this, though. The, the current writers and the current Marvel company, Disney, has an issue that we did not have in the early 60s. And that is, why do you want to give Disney your intellectual property? If you have a truly innovative idea for a villain or a character, you're not going to give it to the Disney Corporation to own lock, stock, and barrel. You're not. So whereas you had Ditko and Lee being very inventive and and freely giving their ideas, uh, even people like uh, Bendis, they're taking a second uh, a second to go, wait a second, do I want to truly give this away? Um, and I can't say I blame them. Um, another possible solution, if you look at the early Spider-Man villains, they're all animals. Mm-hmm. Lizard, vulture, octopus, kangaroo, gibbon, <laughs> rhino. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so why not go into the animal kingdom uh, and, and do some more? We have not had the, men- the menace of the maddening marsupial yet. <laughs> We have not had – well, we do have Squirrel Girl. Okay. We, we do not have the uh, – uh, Malignant Manatee? Uh, yeah, the Manatee. Uh, you know, all right, we'll stop. But uh, the Animal Kingdom is full of uh, species that you could mine for new characters. <laughs> all right. Um, Richard, I'm going to say one word, mm-hmm. and that is segue. <laughs> The 25-year rule. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I always I always adjust my chair after the 25-year rule. <laughs> I have to get ready. I have to get ready. Because we're talking about 1997, 25 years ago, uh, like we just talked about earlier, where the kids that are watching Spider-Gwen and Miles now, 15, 25 years, they're going to want to recreate their childhood. And that is what's called the 25-year rule. This week, we are talking about Daredevil Deadpool Annual 97. Now, this book came out when writer Joe Kelly was the writer on both Daredevil and Deadpool. So it only made sense to have these two characters come together for an annual. This was that period when Marvel annuals weren't really selling that well, so they would combine two different books to kind of goose sales and, and try to get people interested. So it's not considered an annual for either one. It's considered an annual for both. Exactly. Um, problem was both books were selling horribly at this time. This is right before Daredevil was actually canceled and rebooted under Marvel Knights. And Deadpool was limping along. So as a result, just over 45,000 copies of this were ordered by retailers, which sounds phenomenal today. But back in 1997, that was dire. Uh, the black cover also does not help with this book in high grades. The scarcity is there. This was a very hot book at one time. It sold for quite a few shekels. Uh, it was tough to find. You had uh, Deadpool was hot. 
Um, this was a tougher Deadpool book to find. Typhoid Mary is the antagonist in here. Demand really has cooled down for this book. Uh, 9.8 sold in February of last year for $170, while a 9.6 sold just this past December for 20 bucks. Wow. Less than the cost to have it slabbed. <laughs> Ouch. What is this, a VV drop? Oh, snap. <laughs> Daredevil Deadpool <laughs> Annual. Great story. Um, now may be the time to pick it up uh, if you have not. Uh, it just it was historically an expensive book, and apparently it is not anymore. All right. Let's move on to our underrated books of the week. Richard, go ahead. My underrated book this week is Justice League of America number 110 from 1974. This is the second appearance of Jon Stewart. Really? Uh, yes, really. Um, if the first appearance of Jon Stewart, which is in Green Lanterns 87, is too expensive, then this is a great opportunity to pick this book up before people catch on that this was the second appearance. It's harder to find in, in high grade because of the black cover. Uh, and it's square spine. This is a, a hundred pager. So uh, early one too. Mm -hmm. uh, 9.6 sold in 2021 for $385. The last 9.8 sale was in 2015 for 1400. So boy, wow. boy, that's going to be a pricey one if it, if it ever comes to market, but this is a book I, I don't think is on anybody's radar. So you no. can find this in, in back issue bins pretty easily. I think you know? I have this. Do you really? It's the Santa Claus cover, right? Yes, it is the Santa Claus cover. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I had no idea it was the second John Stewart. <laughs> yeah, this is back back in the era when they when they had the characters all, all you know aligned in a circle around uh, some table and um, dead Santa standing. No one could have four chairs back then. Yeah, and the dead Santa Claus in the middle of the cover. <laughs> that alone makes this valuable. Dead Santa Claus cover. <laughs> Uh, Ross, for this, you can have them for 10 to 50 bucks on eBay uh, all day long. It is not an expensive book to get into. Um, and who knows if you can find a 9 8 of this book? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, you can have some serious ducats. Um, John Stewart is a core member of the Lanterns. You know, he's to me, he's one of the one of the four characters that I can almost guarantee are going to be in some kind of uh, uh, Green Lantern TV well, show. The trailer for the animated John Stewart movie just dropped last week. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. The title here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. So it's on the way. Wow. Yeah. Uh, good one. I did not. I did not know that. Um, <laughs> I am wearing my giant size man thing shirt today in honor of my underrated book of the week, which is Astonishing Tales number 12, which is the second appearance of the man thing. And the first appearance of the Man-Thing in regular Marvel comics. Now, Man-Thing first appeared in Savage Tales number one, which was a magazine that uh, Stan Lee begged and pleaded Marvin, Martin Goodman to allow him to pu publish. Uh, finally acquiesced, went on the stands, and it was immediately canceled. Uh, Martin Goodman was not a man to wait for sales figures to come back. Just wow. canceled. And Man-Thing was part of Savage Tales. Um um, Astonishing Tales number 12 came out uh, about a year later, and it featured a repurposed Man-Thing story originally meant for Savage Tales number two that was drawn by none other than Neil Adams. Oh. 
So this, uh, these extra pages that were laying around in inventory were incorporated into the Kazar continuity. A 9.2 of this book sold this month for $720. So somebody's wow. paying attention. Yeah. Now, just so you know, you're going to get a two for here for underrated books. Uh, Astonishing Tales number 13, which is the second part of the story, is the first cover appearance, period, for the Man-Thing. So yeah. if you are a Man-Thing specker, this is one on your list as well. Let's not forget, after the Multiverse of Madness, the Man-Thing is the guardian of the nexus of all realities. So... Oh. If you are talking about the multiverse in Marvel, who's in charge of guarding that nexus but our favorite shambling swamp creature, the slimiest swamp creature of all, the Man-Thing. Don't be so, afraid of him. Fear is uh, not a good thing around him. Yeah, whatever knows fear burns at the touch of the Man-Thing, which means Jon Stewart will never burn. <laughs> nor Hal Jordan. All because, those, yeah. Does John Stewart have uh, Hal Jordan's absence of fear? I do not know. Uh, the man without fear, Daredevil. Yes. <laughs> he won't burn. Let's make a list of all the people that will burn. Uh, let's see. Mr. Fear. He'll burn real <laughs> quick. Uh, all right. Enough of that. Hey, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, Richard, remind everybody where they can find us during the week. During the week, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Browns and Modern Gods. Or if you're like a web kind of guy, you can go to bronzeandmodergods.com. Freshly updated for your perusal. Thanks, everybody. Uh, make sure you hit the notification bell. Hit like, hit subscribe. You never know when we're going to go live, and you want to be a part of it. And we'll see you next time. Everybody stay safe.